Well, so we're glad you're with us today, and uh, we are we are studying in Second Timothy today. So you can go ahead and be turning to chapter one in Second Timothy, and uh, just excited to be here in the Word of God. It's raining on a beautiful Friday morning here in Queen City, and I say uh, it's beautiful and raining. Those two words don't usually go together for me, but it's about midway through August, so. Any rain in August is always a blessing here in Northeast Texas, and uh, we're just excited that we can be here today sharing God's Word with you. It's been a great study so far. This is going to be part four today, again in Second Timothy chapter 1. We'll start in verse 10 this morning. I pray that God would impart to us the, thing that, the things that we need today, those spiritual gifts and impartations that only He can impart And I know that he does it through the preaching of the gospel. And uh, that's what Paul told the church in Rome in chapter uh, 1 of Romans. And so that's, that's what we always bring to the table here is God's Word in the context of the gospel. Because only in the context of the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And only when the righteousness of God is being revealed, the Bible says, can we go from faith to faith. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to know that as a 59-year-old preacher today, and I'm not still stuck in some time where I'm just declaring what the promises of God are and de- declaring what God will do. But over the last 23 years, God has ushered in this message, this narrow way, even in a broader illumination and revelation than the church has ever known it. Although it's been written there the entire time uh, by the Lord through the apostles, Apostle Paul, we are just now stepping into this, and I'm excited about that. Uh, Again, let me say it. I don't have to just get up and declare what God will do, what God can do, what God wants to do, and teach and preach on all the promises. I can actually do that by the Spirit of God, and I can point you to the only place your experience will be in all that Jesus died for you to have, and that is your faith in the cross. And uh, I, I listen to young and old preachers uh, declaring who have well-gifted voices and abilities to speak and talking about God this and God that. And I'm telling you, we need to get back to Jesus and God the Father. We need to get back to the work of Jesus and what He did at Calvary because only through that Avenue, are we going to experience everything God has for us? Only as we get back to uh, uh, being more interested in the will of God, the Word of God, uh, the plan of God for our lives, than we are just our natural families and natural national things going on. All those things are okay, but they can never take the preeminent place of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And when they do, we're in trouble. And uh, and we are in trouble as the people of God in the earth today. and uh, But let me say it again. I'm so thankful today to be learning the truth of God's Word. Uh, I, that God is attempting to bring His people out of a complacent, slothful, sleeping, lazy, deceived place by bringing us back to that old path, that path that It's always been the only path in which you can agree with God and walk with God and find the plan of God for your lives. The church has believed a lie that God's going to do what God's going to do in our lives regardless of what we believe. That's very unbiblical. So again, 
Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll start in verse uh, 10. It's where we're supposed to start. Uh, but it, it, when, when the Bible says in verse 10, "...but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel," We need to look back, uh, as always. You, you can't just open the Bible and begin to read uh, because you've already missed too much. And so, so here in verse 10 when it says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. We need to look back and say, what's he talking about? What's been made manifest? So we look back, verse 9, and he's talking about the Lord coming to save us and to call us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, what we see here is that God's purpose and God's grace, which it takes God's grace in our lives to find and live out God's purpose, has been now made manifest to us by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not outside of that. You won't find God's will, God's purpose, or God's grace outside of Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And I had a guy over the last couple of days on Facebook uh, trying to tell me that the Bible's not true and this life is all there is and I'm gullible and, and uh, pretty much pitiful to believe there's a God and to be believing the Bible. Well, you know, I, I have the Spirit of God by which I believe uh, the Lord. I, I mean, I had to let the guy know that you know, the, I have the authority of God's Word to be believing what I believe. Whose authority are you believing on behalf of? Who's telling you there's no God? Who's telling you there, the Bible's not true? So we, whoever you are, you're, you're, all, you're operating from a uh, some place of authority. Somebody's allowed to speak into your life. It's not just you. That's where we make them. It's not just you. Well, this is just what I want to believe. Yeah, you have that prerogative, and, and you can make the choice, but there's somebody telling you why the Bible's not true. There's also somebody telling you why the Bible is true. There are voices. There's, there is a God. You can fight against Him all your life, or you can submit to Him and, and, re, and come to realize why that sin in your life is destroying you. But here, Jesus Christ came so that we could be called, we could be saved, we could find, according to His works at Calvary, we could find His purpose and His grace because it was only given to us. But in verse 9 it says, it was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And again, I don't want to linger on this too long, but because it's too, it's really too deep to understand. That's why everything with the Lord is by faith. But God never starts anything. He never puts anything in motion that's not already a done deal with Him. By the time He put Adam in the garden, it was already a done deal. Everything with God right now is a done deal. God's not waiting a thousand years to figure out what He's going to do. Right now, God knows what's going on in a trillion, trillion light years from right now. He's already there. It's already happened. It's already finished. Everything with God is already a done deal. He just, he just, he doesn't just sit back and watch it. 
Here's the good news. He gets involved in his plan. I'm glad for that today, that God, he doesn't just plan it, put it in motion, and then kick back and say whatever. No, he plans it, he puts it in motion, and then he gets involved. If he didn't get involved and it's dealing with anything about humanity, it wouldn't work. It takes God for his creation to work. Amen. This is what's now been made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light. That means to be seen through the gospel. It takes the gospel to see that death has been abolished. It takes the light of the gospel to know that you have now been offered eternal life and that death has been abolished. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning, death being abolished and what that really means. Uh, because we need to uh, be learning the Word of God. We need to understand what we're reading when we read the Bible. We need to do more than just read a chapter and say, Hey, well, I read my chapter today. No, I need to know what I read. I, actually, I need to sit down and I need to read the Word of God. I need to... I, I need you to speak to me today. I need to understand your direction for my life because it's not going to come through looking at a tree or a leaf on a tree or a cloud. You can get away from that spooky, uh, whatever, witchcraft. You need to get in the Word to get your direction. Thy Word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Till we get back to that, and I mean get back to that in its proper context, we're still going to be wandering around the mountain wondering why God's not doing what He said He would do. Well, let me remind you, He does what He said He would do according to His will for our lives, which is His Word. So, we look here in this 10th verse, and the Bible talks about Jesus Christ, and He calls Him here the Savior, Jesus Christ, because it's what He did to save us that abolished death. And I, and, I, and I got the definition for us this morning that abolished means to render entirely inoperative. It means to be unemployed, inactive. That's what the word abolished means. I've, I've abolished, let's just use an example, I've abolished your position. You no longer are going to work at that table doing that procedure on that, whatever, you're going to move over here. I've abolished your job. We Sometimes we know what that is in the secular world. We get told one day, well, your job's been abolished. Wah, wah, wah. We've been working here at this one table for 25 years. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. No, you're not. You griped all the whole time. <laughs> now you're griping. They abolished your job. But anyway, we understand it on those terms. Your job's been abolished. That means don't show up. In that building, I'm moving you to that building now to work over there. Well, uh, just that, what you were doing, has been set aside. We were operating, dominated by the sin nature. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus came and saved us from that death, that separation from God. He saved us. He abolished that death. That means He made it entirely that death, which is that separation. You're still going to die physically. But the, the spiritual death, he made, he rendered it entirely inoperative. 
You are no longer separated from God. You've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus, the Bible says. You've been brought back to a God that we we forsook way back in the Garden of Eden. We left Him. We disobeyed Him. We became sinners. But God still loved us, and He came after us. And He's still after you, whoever you are today that's listening. He wants to show you His love, mercy, and His grace. He wants to show you, I mean to show you, His will for your life. He wants to show you that He has abolished death. He has made death, that separation, totally inoperative. You are no longer, let me say it again, separated from God. Unless you walk back in a place that brings about that separation. But for the Christian, it'll be only separation in fellowship. Because you and I can become dead if we're not trusting in the work of Christ at Calvary. Paul said that. He wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 7 verse 9. He says, I was alive once without the law. That means when he got born again because he he was never alive when he was under the law. He was still dead in his sins. But he, he said, I was alive once without the law. means he was saved without the law. He was alive. But then when the commandment came... The Bible says, Paul wrote, he died. He died. He didn't fall dead physically. And he didn't lose his soul as far as salvation. It just means he began to walk when he was trying to live according to the laws. He began to now walk in a place separated from God. Because if we're not operating... By the grace of God, we're walking in a, in, a, in a place of death, in a place of separation from God. Don't tell me you can't be that. Paul, if you still believe that Paul wrote the Word of God, he says to uh, the Galatians that you have removed yourself from the one who's called you into this grace. In Galatians 5, 1 through 4, he says, you've fallen from grace. You've fallen from that which God is attempting to do in your life. So we're very well aware of that we can fall from grace. We, we can remove ourselves from Him. That, that's a place of death, separation. I'm still in Christ. I'm still justified. I'm still righteous, but I'm not in agreement with God if my faith is no longer exclusively in the cross. Because that's the only place grace grace flows into my life and allows that which is a reality, my being reconciled to God because He's abolished that separation that was there between me. That's what it means by He abolished death. He put away that separation. He he made it entirely inoperative. That, That death is unemployed now. The sin nature becomes unemployed because it's it's the sin nature in the flesh that allows death to operate. Amen. It's, it's what Jesus did at Calvary that makes the sin nature, which is where death operates, totally inoperative. As long as I'm trusting in the work of Christ at Calvary, death is abolished. Death still exists today. Physical death, death spiritually as far as our removing ourselves from Him. I gave you the scriptures for that. The last enemy yet to be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. It means, it means death has, has been destroyed, but it's not been ultimately put away. If it had been, we wouldn't even have to die a physical death. 
the last enemy, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, tells us that, that the last enemy, when all the foes have been put under the feet of Jesus, then that last enemy, which is death, will be destroyed completely. It still exists. But its authority has changed and when he doesn't stand that, the, the devil at one time before Christ, before Christ came and died, humble, obedient death under the, the to, to the cross. Listen, the devil had the power of death. What does that mean? It means he had the power over all those who were separated, dead, separated. Let me say it again: dead, separated. You could use the word separation or separated every time in the Bible where the Bible talks about dead, because that's what death is. It's separation, no matter how you slice it up. And until Jesus came and offered His life for all those who were dead and without life. The devil had the authority. He had the power of death. That means he had the authority of death. That's what God meant when he rushed into the Garden of Eden and told Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. That means he's going to crush your, take your head away, your authority. He didn't take a sword and cut the devil's head off his body. He crushed his head. He took his head. Head is where the authority is, like Jesus Christ we're the body of Christ, but He is the head. He is the authority of His body. And Jesus crushed the authority of the devil. His authority was death. He had the, he had the authority of death. Let's look at that this morning in Hebrews 2.14. This is a very important and paramount scripture for those of us who God is attempting or already has brought back to exclusive faith in the cross of Christ. And let's read this, Hebrews 2.14, because it's not the resurrection that took the power of death away from the devil. Watch this. It's right here in your Bible. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He, Jesus, also likewise himself took part. Everybody say part. He didn't, he didn't take the whole thing. He didn't have the sin nature. He only took a part of the same. That means he was given a body of flesh and blood. He didn't have, he wasn't just like us or he could not have saved us. He was born of a virgin, not the reproduction of male and female. He was born of a woman, a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit so that he would only be made part. He would only partake, what's the Bible say? He took part of the same. He did not have a sin nature. Why did this happen? That through death, his death at Calvary... Through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The devil had the power of death. Now let's look at this a little more today. The devil had the power of separation. And until Jesus came and gave his life, 
you couldn't even believe in that coming promise and go to heaven until Jesus came and offered his life. Even the believers under the old covenant had to still go to paradise, not heaven, because without Christ there could not be the reconciliation in its full fashion, in its full completion, in its in its experience. They couldn't go to heaven. They had to go to paradise because the devil still had to some degree, even on over the Old Testament saints, authority. They couldn't go to heaven because Jesus had not yet come and taken the power of death away from the devil. He did that through death before he came and died. You could not. The devil still had the power of death. That's the power of separation. The power over all those who were separated. I hope that helped you this morning because even under the old covenant, believing in that promise, God promised us of a Savior going to crush the head of the devil, you still couldn't go to heaven. That mean you were lost. It just means the complete work had not taken place yet. The devil had not actually had the power of death, the power of that which separates us from God, removed from him until Jesus declared it was finished and he died through the shedding of his blood at Calvary. Amen. <laughs> I hope this is helping you today because... It's through death he destroyed him, the devil, that had the power of death. And let's add this right now for the sake of all those who've been taught all this make-believe weirdness that's not in the Bible. Jesus did not have to go and suffer in hell. That's nowhere in your Bible. Jesus did not go and take the keys of uh, uh, death and hell from the devil in hell. The devil's never been to hell. You can't, the devil's never been to hell. Now, we've got a lot of new viewers, and I know us, we've heard this for years, but we have to try to help people along that's still out there believing and sitting there listening and even sowing their finances into all these unbiblical things because they're trusting in men and not the Word of God. Jesus took the power of death away from the devil when he died at Calvary. When he said it was finished, my friend, it was finished. Nobody there, even though some were there that believed that is the Son of God, nobody there realized what happened on that cross that day except the devil. Because when you have something such as death taken away from you, you've had the authority over death for all these thousands of years, and you lose that, you realize you've lost something. The devil knew he'd been stripped of that power and that everyone that believed upon Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God and that he did come to take away the sins of the world, he lost that power of authority, that power of death he has over all the lost race. 
as he watched men and women, boys and girls, begin to be reconciled to God through Christ. He hated that. He still hates that. That's why he tries to blind all preachers from preaching the message of the cross, the only avenue of righteousness, which is the only avenue of holiness, which is the only avenue God can be seen in and through your ministry, my friend. Oh, we need to get back to the truth of God's Word. Oh, don't worry about trying to be popular. You're already going the wrong avenue. Don't try, don't, don't worry about trying to be a very good speaker. Just preach the gospel. We're all inadequate. But the gospel holds the power. Amen. The last enemy yet to be destroyed is death. But it's been abolished. It's, it's been made inoperative. It's, it's been pushed out of the way. It's, death has become unemployed in our lives as we trust in Jesus. Now remember, it's only unemployed until we turn and begin to trust in something some man wrote in a book or some program that now we claim God's using this program to deliver me. No, if, if we're not trusting in the cross alone, we die. Write it down. Remember it, Romans 7, 9. And Paul was not talking there about his experience before he was saved. He was talking about a saved man's experience. Because all those who move from faith in the cross to faith in anything other, they die. Not physically. And they don't lose their souls immediately, but they do die. What's that mean? They, they begin to walk in a place where they're no longer drawing from the grace of God. What is that? Death. What is death? Separation. He will never leave you, my friend. He'll never forsake you. But what we've not been taught in the centuries that's gone on before us is that we can leave Him. We can remove ourselves from Him. That's in our Bibles, and that is where the church is at 90% or higher today. We've removed ourselves from Him. We're in a dangerous place. Death still exists, but its authority has been changed. Jesus now has the keys and the authority of death. He took that power and that authority away from the devil in His death. Not after his death going into a place of suffering. Many preachers preach that. If you've never heard that, you can Google uh, Jesus died spiritually doctrine. It's not in your Bible. Nowhere to be found. But it's called the Jesus died spiritually doctrine that they teach Jesus became a sinner. On the cross. He took on the, the, the nature of Satan and he had to go to hell to complete our salvation. He had to go to hell, uh, and be tormented by devils and demons and, and there's where he had to take the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan. That's not in your Bibles. That is not the Jesus we serve. Paul said there would be other Jesuses preached by other spirits and there would be other gospels that are not gospels. It's not good news. When Jesus said it was finished, you either believe that or you're trusting in another Jesus. Oh, I'm going to say that again. You either believe Jesus finished the work in his death or you're believing in another Jesus. Oh, the resurrection? Absolutely. But the resurrection is only the declaration of the perfection of the sacrifice that took place in his humble, obedient act of death. 
The resurrection is the power that only, only emanates from the power of the cross. Because there's where the power was manifest and death was taken from the devil. And all that will be made righteous and justified, it took place, Romans 5.1 and Romans 5.9, we've been justified by faith. Verse 9, we've been justified by the blood. Not by what Jesus went and did in hell because he didn't go in hell and do anything but preach to the captives and lead them out. Hallelujah. Those that had been separated could now be reconciled because Jesus had took the power of that separation. Paradise was a place of separation. Not only from those in torment and those who were in Abraham's bosom, but it was a place of separation still from God's presence who was in heaven. Jesus went because of there and led captivity captive to himself. Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. I'm happy. <laughs> there ain't no place called paradise no more. I believe when the prophet Isaiah said hell has enlarged itself, I believe after Jesus got them people out of there that the torment side just invaded the other side and now it's all just one big place. Hell has enlarged itself because it wasn't made for men, but men are choosing to go. It wasn't made for men, Jesus told. Hell wasn't made for men, but men are choosing to go at the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. Y'all happy this morning? Would y'all be happier if the sun was shining outside? <laughs> no, we happy this morning. We glad to be here. The same word that's used for abolish. Now, I found this pretty interesting earlier this morning. The, the same word that's used here in verse 10 that tells us that our Savior Jesus Christ abolished death, that same word is used here in Hebrews 2.14 for the word destroy. It's the same exact word when you look it up. And it means, I've told you, to render entirely inoperative. To make unemployed, to make inactive. That's what Jesus did to the devil. Now, if we read Hebrews 2.14, you'll notice that he didn't destroy, he didn't destroy death. That means it's not just totally non-existent because the Bible tells us it will be the last enemy to be destroyed, overcome. It's like the devil. He still exists. But here in Hebrews 2.14, it says that through death he might destroy him. You know what that means? That, may, that, may, that word destroy is the same word for abolished. That means the devil becomes rendered entirely inoperative to those who are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He no longer can do what he used to do to you and me. That ought to make you stay up three days shouting hallelujah right there. Because until we were born again, we were controlled by the devil. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you want to believe. we got the Word of God right here. Until we were born again, we were dead, separated from God in our sins and trespasses. Dead. If you were dead, that means you were separated from God. I've taught it for years. Death means separation. You know, when somebody dies... 
The bodies there in the casket, but they're not there. Why? Because they've died. They've what? They've been separated from that body, from us. They've gone on. Just like Adam and Eve. God told him, told Adam, the day you eat of that tree, don't eat of it, son. But in the day you do eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. That means you shall surely be separated from me, this garden, that body I gave you to live forever, the glory that clothes you, everything that you know now, you will be separated from. And it was a whole lot worse than that statement. But death began to operate as soon as sin took place because the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. We're born dead in sin, separated from God. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we can be alive to God again in Christ Jesus and live every day of our lives instead of act like we were still lost. And we got something to live for, folks. That old song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow, that ought to be a reality in us. He's not just living at the right hand of the Father. He's living in our heart right now. Glory to God. He's alive. How do, how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know God's real? Because He lives within my heart. I mean, you don't just save yourself from stuff. You don't just change your direction because you want to. If that was the case, then more people would be living right. You've got to have Jesus. You've got to have Him more than one time. You've got to have Him every day. That's what Jesus taught. So the same word for abolished is used for destroy. The devil has been made, he's been rendered entirely inoperative in your life. He can't destroy you. He can't separate you. He, he, he can't do anything anymore but throw his lies at you. But now you have vision. Now you have faith. Now you have direction. Now you're no longer ignorant of the schemes of the devil. You know how he operates only one way, through lies. That's all he can do is lie. That's, that's what his roars are as a line. And i got news for you. He's got most of the church defeated today because all the lies is his avenue of authority. It's his only avenue of authority. His lies. That's his roaring as a line, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil, your adversary, our adversary, goes around to and fro looking for whom he may devour. How does he devour? Through those that remove their faith from that one object of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that one place that rendered him inoperative. That's why the purpose-driven life, the government of 12, the, the trusting in my words, the trusting in my anything, even the things I'm called to do in the Word of God, if I move my faith from what Jesus did at Calvary to anything else, the devil becomes operative in my life again. You don't... Listen... That's how, that's the, if the preachers would grab a hold of this, then their congregations could begin to live. And they wouldn't have to do as much, uh, uh, refereeing as they do. <laughs> as much constant counseling going. If you'd preach the cross, preacher, 
If you do more than get up and declare what God wants to do, what God can do, and what God will do, what God's going to do to try to make yourself look like you, Mr. Prophet of the age, if you just preach the cross, a lot of your problems would leave and a lot of your congregation's problems would leave. Even if it means they had to go out the door. Because they, you know, my motto is, if I can't cast the devil out of you, I'm going to cast you out of here. <laughs> you ain't staying. Nobody, I mean, that's why I told my kids growing up, if I, man, if I can't cast it, y'all better straighten up right here. If I can't cast the devil out of y'all, I'm going to cast you out of here. Somebody's leaving. Ain't nobody going to act like that in here. And it goes the same way for Crossway Church. Folk ain't going to show up and act like the devil and cause all kind of strife and, and stuff going on without being confronted. But the way they're confronted is through the preaching of the cross. That right there holds the power that saves and changes and conforms or it causes us to push back and move to the other side of the mountain because I don't want to watch that old man keep building that ark. Ah, Oh, you got to be on that ark. Oh, yeah, you got to believe the message of the cross of Christ, or you're in big trouble and you're walking today in a place of separation. You, in a church that's allowed that government of 12 study book to come in and you go home thinking, if we'll just do these things and, oh, what, what, how sad that is to have to go home and every time after you've been in church all your life and you keep going home, you're not being changed. You're not bearing forth the fruits of holiness. You, you still got marriage problems. Matter of fact, they're worse than they, they've ever been. Now, but you're faithful to be in church. What are you hearing? Is is what you should be hearing being preached? And if it is, why aren't you believing it? Amen. That's where the church is. We're faithful to be in some church, faithful to give, faithful all these places, but we're not being changed. That means we're either not hearing the message is not being preached. <clears throat> the message of the cross, using God's Word in every chapter and verse, or it is, and we're just not believing it. Which one of those two is our case today? Which is, which is the case? Am I in a church not preaching this message? Or am I in a church preaching this message and I'm just not subjecting myself to it? Because if I'm not being changed, my marriage is not becoming more unitized, my kids are not being raised up in the admonition of the Lord the way they should be, one of those two things is happening in my life. One of them. I'm not hearing what I should be hearing, or I am, but I'm just not listening to it. I'm not giving it the time of day. I'm not subjecting myself to it. Come on, somebody. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus alone has abolished death and brought life and immortality, life and immortality to light through the gospel, which is the cross. That's powerful. Through the gospel, you have life and you have immortality. That means death no longer dominates you. Jesus taught us you will never die if you believe upon me. That means you'll never be separated from God again. Old body's got to go. Let's be honest. You don't want to keep it forever anyway, because it's if you could have kept what you had at 25, that whole man when I could climb all over the wall in here, man, you wouldn't believe what I could do at 25. 
At 30 years old, I was standing flat-footed and jumping up on dumpsters that were higher than this podium without a running start. At 30 years old, I could bend straight down and jump straight up and land on a dumpster about that high. And people told me, oh, you can't do it. And when I'd go show them I could do it, they'd about fall over. They couldn't believe it. Man, if I could have kept that body, I think I'd want to live. But it's more than physical is the reason we don't want to stay in this body. <laughs> because the devil ain't our biggest problem. The people I blame for everything is not my biggest problem. Sin is still dwelling in my members. And that's the reason we don't want to keep this old thing. We get in a new one. We get in a new body. <laughs> Woo, not gonna have to eat you're not gonna have to eat food to keep it. The only reason you eat food right now is to keep that blood functioning. But you're not gonna have any blood in that glorified body. You're gonna be flesh and bone, living by, functioning by, driven by the Spirit of God only, not blood. Amen. That's why when they put you all over in uh, some foreign country for a thousand years when Jesus is reigning from uh, Jerusalem and, and, and people get mad at y'all because y'all going to be the ambassadors. They ain't going to be congressmen and senators and lawyers. It's going to be kings and priests reigning with Christ for a thousand years. When they get mad at you, chastity, they're going to try to take a knife to you. But when they try to do something, it ain't going to work for them. <laughs> Because Jesus said, you will never die. He died once. He'll never die again. We died with Him at Calvary. We'll never die again. That means we'll never be separated from God again. When our physical body dies in a, ooh, in the twinkle of an eye, I am with the Lord in His prayer. I'm not just up in heaven somewhere and He's way over somewhere else up in heaven too busy for me. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of God. Hallelujah. You ought to be looking forward to that. We got the presence of God now, but you, ooh, you get happy when you realize what you got now ain't nothing compared to what you're going to have when you get there. Right now, you have the presence of God, and, and it's very real, but it's by faith. When you're there, faith, whoo, faith ain't in heaven. Hope ain't in heaven. Just the reality is there now. Faith, hope, and love is what we have now. When we get there, faith and hope, done, it got left on the earth. Faith and hope is only on the earth. It ain't in heaven. Only hope in heaven is Jesus, who is our hope of glory. But with the people of there, they're not hoping. They're not living by faith. They're living in reality. I'm looking forward to that day. And it just might be today. Hallelujah. And Paul is here. I mean, uh, yeah, Paul here, he's already mentioned back in... Uh, let me see if I can find this. Uh, where is this at? Yeah, in verse 8, he's already talked about uh, becoming walking with the Lord in a place of not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, which is the preaching of the gospel. Not being ashamed of that or of Paul. Let me tell you, Paul's going to say something else about this, and we're not going to make it to the end of this chapter today. Y'all holding me up too long right here. But at the end of this very chapter, we'll see Paul says this amazing thing. Timothy, everybody in Asia has forsaken me. 
Don't think this gospel we preach is not narrow. Don't wonder why preachers aren't preaching it. Everybody, everything that God started and planted and preached to and all that in Asia, isn't that where the seven churches were? They'd all forsaken him. That's what he says. That's at the end of this chapter. I can't wait to get there because it shows us why what's going on now, there's only a few preaching the message of the cross. There's, there's, Man, there's been such a great revelation and illumination of this by the Holy Spirit. And it is so great. It is so wonderful. It is so refreshing. It removes the fakeness. It removes the religion. It removes me trying to work for something. And it allows me just to walk with the Lord and that flow of grace to come into my life through my simple childlike faith in the very righteous work of the death of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. But it is so narrow that there will be few that find it, and out of the few that find it, there will be few that continue to walk in it. There will be even fewer that continue to preach it. If they ever preach it for anything outside of initial salvation, you are hard-pressed to find that today. It is taking place, but not much. Hardly ever will you find it. And even among those where you do find it, the, the, the opportunity and the chance that it will go by the wayside is very high. It's very high possibility that those who have preached it won't keep preaching it. Those who are preaching it now won't continue to preach it. Paul says to Timothy in verse 8 here, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. His prisoner. <clears throat> you see, he didn't just say that because it sounds spiritual. He said that because people had become ashamed of what they had once believed and accepted and walked in. I'm talking about me, my past experience. I remember after I was saved, but I, I wasn't living for God. And somebody every once in a while would say something about the gospel and Jesus. And I'd, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd get away from that. That's called, Listen, I don't care what kind of ticket you sign on that. That's being ashamed of the gospel. You're either living and sharing the gospel or you're living in a shame. Don't tell me it's fear. Okay, fear's involved, but fear makes you ashamed. Amen, Brother Curtis. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy was in big trouble. I have to believe that because of what Paul had to write. All the things, words of encouragement, and it being Paul's last letter before he died. Timothy was in trouble. Big trouble. You've not been given a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Don't let them, don't let this false doctrine filter in, Timothy. Stand. Again, when we get to the end of this chapter, all those in Asia have forsaken me. Then he lists the two names who were the leaders of the revolt of all those in Asia who left him. We'll get there. So I wanted to, Go over verse 8 again because he tells Timothy, But you be partaker of the affliction. See, afflictions will make you run. Afflictions will make you run. Isn't it one of the 
the grounds of the heart, the types of soil that receives the word uh, when persecution, because of the word, comes, we run away. Because the Word of God you believe and walk in, if it's the truth of God's Word, which is faith in the cross, listen, persecution's coming. It may come in the small type of criticism, being pushed out, being alienated from families or alienated from co-workers, alienated from other churches in the community. But criticism and persecution to some degree is going to take place if you are trusting in, sharing, and living, and becoming the gospel, not some denominational rules and regulations, but the gospel. Hallelujah. It's coming. It's going to take place. And Timothy is in a struggle of his life here. Paul knows it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he writes him in this letter and says, Listen, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. But be... You be partaker of the afflictions. Partake of those afflictions. Don't let those afflictions push you away and make you ashamed of the gospel. Uh, to look for another church that's not just so caught up in the gospel. Look, listen. Par- be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. According to the grace that God will give you if you'll cling to the gospel. When you become ashamed of the gospel, the gospel cannot produce in you what you need. And you cannot be becoming the gospel. That's what we're here to become. We're here to become the gospel. Our lives are to be that which is becoming the good news of Jesus. Hallelujah. Our testimony, what we share with our mouth, the words, the Word of God, the very way we live is to be becoming the gospel. Again, not some denominational regulations and rules. Well, they all wear long sleeves, they all blah, blah, blah. The degree we're willing to partake of the afflictions which the gospel will bring is the same level of thankfulness and closeness to the Lord we will experience. When we begin to allow fear or whatever else, mainly fear, to make us ashamed of this truth of the gospel, this power of the gospel, then we begin to move away from the Lord Himself. We become ashamed of the gospel. We become ashamed of those who carry this narrow truth. You can watch it. If you have any wisdom or any, any understanding at all, you can watch on social media and see Christians today have a boldness to share some things, anything, but not the gospel. Not the gospel. They have a boldness to share their political views. They have a a boldness to share all these other things. They have a boldness to put their two cents in on everything, but they're not sharing the gospel. And when they hear statements like this coming from somebody like me, then they, 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 they really begin to move away. They really don't want to be associated with anybody that that's narrow-minded. Well, I don't have to do things on social media. You're absolutely right. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to sow into the ministry. You, you don't have to do anything. You can do whatever you want to do. That's your prerogative. But you can also repent 
and come back to the narrowness of the gospel and begin to ask God to help you to allow your understanding to be enlightened so that you can become that witness unto Him that He's called you to be. And only then can you be the testimony among others that you're called to be. Let me read this again, my note. The degree we are willing to partake of the afflictions which the gospel will bring is the same level of thankfulness and closeness to the Lord we will experience. Those who are closest to the Lord are those who see how narrow the road is. Those who are closest to the Lord are those who are more thankful. Those who have a love for the body of Christ. Those who love even the lost world. Those who are closest to the Lord. After all, it's only those whose lives are becoming the gospel that experience the afflictions of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. It's only those whose lives are becoming the gospel that experience the afflictions of the gospel. We do not seek after suffering, but rather our Lord's righteousness through our faith in the gospel. And there we're found striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's why here at Crossway Church, we don't argue and bicker over what kind of carpet we're going to have, how the chairs are going to be arranged, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. There's order in the house of God. Because the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. And when our people come together, the way this local church operates is we come together to strive together for the faith of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're striving for. We're not striving against each other for this and uh, this and that. We're striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 If every church group of people came together to literally strive together for the faith of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've already said it, much of what's wrong in that congregation would go out. And I'm not talking about necessarily out the door, but out of our hearts. And those who would refuse to get in that conforming process, faith in the cross alone, they would go out the door. Because a lot of people today, they've forsaken sound doctrine. They, they're, they're waxing coal from love, even though they're teaching love and speaking love. They're waxing coal from love because iniquity is abound. Iniquity abounds where faith is not in the cross. And where the preaching is not of the cross, iniquity is abounding. This is what will bring the suffering if we actually, if we're actually found there. Where? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. People bring all kind of things to the table, and I mean words and accusations and, 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 and Bible verses. Well, what does this Bible verse mean? What does that Bible verse mean? And all the Lord wants to do is take the truth of the Scripture and show you the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything is about Him, right? 
We're in Him. We're of Him. We're saved through Him. We thank God through Him. God created the worlds through Him. God saved us through Christ. Everything is from God through Christ. All things are of Him, for Him, from Him, and to Him. All th- it's all about Jesus. And that means it's all about what He did at Calvary because He is the door, but the cross is the hinge. There is no other way the door opens to you and me daily to be able to make it to the end of this race. And you don't just make it to the end just because you got saved. You make it to the end because you keep holding fast to that confidence of that hope firm until the end. You keep trusting in that finished work of Jesus Christ. You don't become you don't grow uh, weary and, and 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 you don't you don't grow to a place where you're ashamed now of the gospel. You're ashamed of man, they're just they're just too much about the cross. It doesn't have to be that narrow. Paul said, they all left me in Asia. That's a sign. That's a sign. I'd rather stick with the truth of God's Word. I'd rather tell people from the Word of God what God has for you. But without me pointing you to Calvary, I'm not pointing you to what opens the windows of heaven and allows God to reach into your life and to begin to pour into your life. If I don't preach the cross, woe unto me. Because Paul and I Say, this necessity has been laid upon us. The necessity to believe in, to live out, and to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 11, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. That's one who declares. And an apostle. That's one who has received a specific message from the Lord. And it is a groundbreaking, plowing ahead message. Nobody's had it before. It may have been written in the Scriptures from old, but nobody has been given the illumination and revelation of it like the apostle Paul. Nobody was given outside of Paul the understanding of what really took place at the cross. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 reveal what really happened at Calvary. What had been the plan of the ages, what God was really doing, how it worked. Romans 6, 7, and 8, especially Romans 6, just shows us, you know, you, you talk to a doctor, well, you, 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 you did an, a heart operation. Wow, I, 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 that's amazing. I see the guy, he's got a new kidney, a new heart, I see that, but, you know, how, how did you do that? Romans 6 shows the operation of God in detail how it happened, what happened, exactly how it goes on to be experienced, how that operation of God 2,000 years ago applies to me today for ministry, for a, for a blessed marriage, for blessed children, for, for the right heart to, uh, uh, and the right attitude toward all people, how I can be being changed for the glory of God. Only that which took place 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, by the Son of God that became the Lamb of God to take away my sin so that I could have grace every day. More grace today than yesterday. More grace 
God intends on giving us more grace if we'll keep humbling ourselves and looking unto Christ and His work at Calvary. We'll have to start here next week. Y'all have ran me out of time again. And I don't think we had to air down low enough. So wonderful and refreshing to look back at what God has given us so that we can be encouraged and, and find strength in the Lord. You know, there are preachers saying, strengthen yourself in the Lord under the mighty hand of God. But then they don't point them to Calvary. They don't know how. They think that just saying that will do it for them. Or, or not, well, i got to get back in church. Listen, the cross is the answer you've been looking for for every single thing in your life. For there is where God has done everything He will do pertaining to what He will do in, to, for, and through humanity. At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light. At the cross, at the cross, the only place I will ever see any light of God. For His name is Jesus And His cross is what turned that light on to all who will believe. Amen. I pray the Lord blessed you today. I pray that you'll tune in with us every single week with your Bibles to learn the truth of God's Word. Don't forget to pray for us and to sow into this ministry. You can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can text your giving to 903-231-5950. Until next time. Stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. I'll see you then.